Welcome to the Random Wellness Podcast with your host, Nicole Van Quaito, nutritionist, owner, Simply Nick, and taco enthusiast. Join me each week for all things random wellness, including intuitive nutrition, entrepreneurship, holistic living, good vibes, and a dash of woo-woo. I hope this podcast gives you a good laugh, teaches you something new, and helps you uplevel your health. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy today's episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Random Wellness Podcast with myself, Nicole Van Quaitham. Today, I'd like to introduce to you Sarah and Lara, who are the owners of the Dynamic Doulas of London. They are doulas based out of London, Ontario, Canada, and they support women through prenatal, giving birth, and postpartum. So during today's episode, we talked about how they support women through these different stages. So I really hope you enjoyed today's episode, and let me know what you think. Ready? Yes, totally. <laughs> okay. What are your favorite foods? Oh, God. Pizza, tacos, chocolate, coffee. Holy, you just went right from your social authority there. <laughs> um, my favorite food right now is sweet potato fries from MJ's Roadhouse in Lucan. The best sweet potato fries I've ever had in my life. I can't even eat them anywhere else anymore. I love how yeah, sweet potato fries. Um, pizza Madre mm. sourdough pizza. Yeah. Whoa. Whoa. Mm. Have okay. you had it? No. Now you have to. Yeah. Okay. I'm like, um, I even go to like sourdough, like yeah. a little bit of sourdough. Yeah, it's sourdough. Mm. Am I it's writing this down on the list? Yes. 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 <laughs> okay. Favorite colors? Leopard print. Is that a color? <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna say black. Yeah, I knew you. Yeah. <laughs> Which? <laughs> yeah. I don't even think that's a color, but like mine's white, so I'm gonna accept same, that. Same, same, same. Yours yes. is the lack of a color. Mine's all the colors. <laughs> Ooh, oh, wow. wow. <laughs> but mine's a print. <laughs> okay, yours definitely doesn't count. No, <laughs> it doesn't. You're like a cheetah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, yeah. favorite place you've traveled? Do you want I would say Croatia, just such a beautiful mix. Oh, I just have so many good memories along the coast there. I would like to go back and do the coast on a boat, but Ooh. even doing it inland is amazing. There's so many different areas. 90% of the population actually lives in the capital there, which is not even on the water. And that's not where I would go, Zagreb, but along the coast is amazing. Okay, nice. Uh, mine is Africa, South Africa and Swaziland. I was there a year ago and my husband has family there and it was incredible. Like way more mountainous than I thought it would be and going on safari was like mind blowing. Yeah. Cool. South Africa. Nice. Okay. COVID aside, where are the next places that you want to travel? Laos, Cambodia, Thailand. All the kind of yeah, yeah. Thailand's up there for sure. Yeah, we plan to do some big trips with our kids. We've always kind of budgeted that from a long time ago. Like we want to do four big trips every two years once the oldest hit eleven. Um, that's like super important to us. Like three weeks ish kind of thing. We're in Iceland together though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Also. That a no, you can say you can say secrets. Also, we're gonna go to Costa Rica together. Yeah, yeah. 
Someday. Someday when we're allowed to get on a yeah. plane and come back and not be alienated from society. <laughs> <laughs> when there's like more immediate testing, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully that comes soon. Who knows though? I just, I'm just starting to pay attention. Like apparently you can land and uh, you get a test on day one, but then you, you can't do anything for five days. You have to get tested again on day five and then you're like free to go. So if you're only going for a week, you'd really couldn't go to any restaurants or anything for the first five days. Okay, true. Hmm. One day, guys. One day. One day. One day. All right. Favorite. Okay, this is an open-ended question. Favorite book of all time, or one that you've read recently, or even like a favorite author. Oh man, I've listened to your podcast a few times, and I knew these questions were coming, and I still feel unprepared. <laughs> I'm afraid I'm going to steal yours, but I feel like right now, Untamed. Yeah, Glennon Doyle is huge yeah. right now. Yeah, like she's, there's just a lot of poignancy and relevance yeah. to, to now. Um, I love Jodi Picoult when it comes to like non-self-help genre. She's great. Yeah. I literally just recommended a book to someone and I cannot remember it. It was so good. The one you gave? I think just anybody who hasn't read Untamed yet needs to go out and read mm-hmm. it. Totally. If you're a woman. Yeah, I half an hour, I'll come up with that title. Okay, <laughs> learn it out. Yeah, <laughs> we'll wheel back to that one. Yeah. Awesome. Okay, coffee or tea? Coffee. coffee. <laughs> Not even a question. <laughs> that was so in sync. And like, I'm <laughs> like, even like how you guys both said it was just like coffee. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Argue me. Argue me. Bring it. <laughs> Awesome. Well, I'd love to get to learn a bit about both of you individually and the journeys that led you to the work that you do now. So I don't know who wants to start and you can go as far back as you want, or you can give me like a high level overview, but yeah, I'd love to learn more. So, um, I'm Lara since people listening to this are going to be like, which one is which? (laughs) So this is my voice. Um, I'm an RMT and I've been an RMT for 15 years and I did pregnancy massage training about five years in. So I was seeing a lot of prenatal clients. And then I got pregnant and had my first baby in 2011 and hired a doula for that birth and was lucky enough to be a part of a community where home birth and trying to avoid pain medication and all that stuff was pretty normal. so hired a doula. We went to a prenatal class and it was actually my husband's idea. He was like, a doula, we need one of those. So got her and I ended up being one of those unicorns who has a three hour long insane birth. And I was 10 centimeters and pushing in the car. And thank God the doula was there because it would have been really scary and we probably would have called an ambulance and we never, we would, would have been able to put our things in the car and actually function. It would have been terrible. Terrible. I love that. Terrible. That's, that's a good Terrible. <laughs> yeah. So Terrible. she made us calm and it was amazing. And then after the birth, I was like, I need to do that. I need to add that to my practice. And I already get to know so many people through pregnancy massage. It was just a really good fit. So I did my training right after that, as soon as I could leave Everly for a longer amount of time. And then, yeah, did my training and then had my second baby and then started dueling. Amazing. Sarah? So uh, my background's in kinesiology. I went to Western here. I grew up in Toronto and then I came here to go to Western and I never left. Um, 
so worked in that field until I got pregnant with my twins. Uh, I, in my pregnancy, I read Ina Mae Gaskin's Guide to Childbirth. I watched The Business of Being Born. And that was kind of, and I'd already kind of been in a mentality of, um, you know, your body's not broken, your body works, you, you know, why is there so much intervention in birth? And I didn't, uh, another crazy story, I didn't actually know I was having twins until 32 weeks because I opted out of the ultrasounds and I was, you know, super committed to being as crunchy, hippie as I could. And so when I found out it was twins, there was kind of this big shift from we were planning, you know, midwife, home birth. Um, at the time, unfortunately, I don't think, so 10 years ago, like doulas weren't as common. No. Um, and at the time, I don't think midwives were as comfortable with them either and knowing like what's their role, what's our role. And so when I had asked my midwife, should I hire a doula? She was like, I'll be everything you need. Uh, it turned out, I mean, she wasn't on call and she was in Toronto. She wasn't even at my birth. I didn't know anybody. I didn't have a doula. But anyway, my birth went um, well and I was able to have an unmedicated twin birth, which was really, I didn't realize how um, also unicorn that was mm -hmm. until afterwards when it just seemed like I wasn't finding other people who were having the same experience. So when it came around to breastfeeding, that's where I kind of struggled. And I had a, a doula come over and help me with that. So um, again, once my kids were old enough to, I was like, this feels like something that I just, I want to be good at. I want to be an expert in, I want to help other women. Um, and so I took the course the year after you did. Mm -hmm. And so we both kind of worked um, independently up until three years ago. And then three years ago, we found that we were, you know, unloading and debriefing to each other about the births we'd been at. And it's, it's really a tough gig to do on your own without support and backup. And so we go to the same gym, we have similar friends. And so we, you know, we were constantly getting in trouble at the gym because we would be talking about births. <laughs> yeah. Well, we're supposed to be lifting weights. Totally. Yeah. And I mean, for both of us, if you say like, what's the thing you can like drone on about, talk about ad nauseum and not even feel drained at all, like it's totally birth. So we were both like, this is what we need to be doing. We need a, we need a business. So two and a half, almost not two and a bit years yeah. ago, we started Dynamic Doulas and here we yeah. are. <laughs> Amazing. Can you explain what doulas are and how you work with people specifically? Because I know you also kind of mentioned the midwife piece and like maybe how that differs from a midwife and how that differs from like the role a doctor plays even. So, okay, tag me in. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. So I feel like personally for us, there's been a bit of a shift recently. We even have on our website, the definition of a doula is a Greek word for servant. However, I feel like we are diverting away from that mm. a bit in the sense that we're a perinatal pregnancy, birth, and postpartum practitioner. And we bring expertise to the table that means that really, if you're hiring us to be a servant to cook and clean and you know look after your other kids, you're probably not getting the level of expertise that we have to offer. And it'd be better if you probably got Go Clean Go to clean your house yes. and got <laughs> us to help you with breastfeeding, burping, physiological, biological, anatomical, endorphins, hormones, that stuff, mm -hmm. that, that's our jam. That's what we can really assist in and, and really educate in and support in. So I'd say that's kind of how the definition for us has changed. Um, in terms of midwives, OBs, they're your primary care provider. 
we are your emotional, physical, mental support. We are not responsible for birth outcomes um, medically for the mother and baby. Yeah. We're not giving medical advice. We can provide evidence-based information and send people to the right places. Um, also, midwives and OBs are covered by OHIP. Doulas are paid separately and hired by the client. So we work specifically for the client, not for the institution or the midwifery clinic. Okay. And like, how is it working with like midwives specifically? I know, I feel like doctors, that's like quite Western medicine. I feel like midwives are obviously probably a little bit more open, I would assume, to working with doulas, but like, what's that relationship like in terms of working with other practitioners? I feel like definitely in the last, like since we did our training, it's become a much more happy relationship between midwives and doulas for sure. Like they have so much paperwork to do, especially if you're at a midwife hospital birth, they have to do their paperwork and then they have to do the hospital's paperwork also. So they don't have time to be your emotional support. And when we get there, they are happy because we can take a lot off of their plate. Um, and Vic specifically, because we're in London, I've always had great experiences with the nurses and the OBs there. I've never had a bad experience with an OB not wanting us there. Um, so it's okay. I mean, OBs are not referring clients to us, but midwives are. Yeah. I mean, in a way it makes the birth easier for everyone when we're there. Yeah. For the midwife, like when you say about emotional support, but I mean, they can't even do physical support. No. Like if you need hip squeezes, back pressure on, you know, through every contraction, they just can't do that and be mindful of when they need to do a heart rate check, you know, when they need to open up all of their equipment, when they need to do their paperwork. Yeah. It's just too much of a job for um, them to do. Um, also, newsflash, your partner is not going to know how to do those things either. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, our, I would say our biggest tagline right now that keeps coming up yeah. in all of our consults is, you know your partner, we know birth. So together, we make a really great team because we can give you suggestions, we can keep you calm, you can, like, I'm talking about the partner. They can look at our face if, you know, if, if we're not freaking out, if we're calm, that calms them down, so... Yeah, I would say overall, um, midwives love it when we're there mm -hmm. because often it means too that their clients aren't calling them at one or two centimeters. We've educated them. They're calling us and we're like, you're good, you know, chill out, have a bath, go to sleep. This isn't happening yet. And so they're not keeping their midwife up, up all night. Yeah. Midwife. 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 We're so good with words today. I'm so excited. I'm just like <laughs> slamming it out there. Also and drank a lot of coffee. This had four <laughs> shots of espresso in it. <laughs> I was gonna say I was like that's a rather large coffee so like if that was me I'd be like twitching like yeah <laughs> guys it was so cold in my house this morning I just needed the biggest coffee I could get Laura's power's been out since yesterday afternoon yeah and yeah. there's no end in sight <laughs> okay you're allowed to drink as much coffee as you want like it's fine <laughs> thank you <laughs> just edit out this edit out the it swallowing sounds <laughs> <laughs> it's fine Okay, I'd love to learn more about like what you do specifically through the different stages. So can we start with like pregnancy and how you support women in that way? Because I think, at least from like my perspective, people who aren't educated maybe in like, you know, what doulas do, what midwives do, they kind of just think of like birth. But what do you do kind of leading up to birth? Yeah, one of my favorite things 
that Sarah said, oh God, now I just lost my train of thought. Coffee, go. Okay, I'll go. So uh, when people get pregnant, the first decision they need to make is if they're going to hire an OB or a midwife. And I say hire because we need to remember that even though OHIP's paying for it, you are the paying customer and it's really your choice. So people sometimes come to us after that. If they peed on the stick and called us right away, we can usually give them a recommendation of hey, we really do have a bias and a preference towards midwifery, especially for the postpartum care because they come and visit you in your home and your visits in pregnancy are upwards of 45 minutes. Whereas often with an OB, you can be waiting in the waiting room in the hospital for two to three hours. You might get a two to three minute visit. Uh, The level of care is not the same. And then also OBs are amazingly equipped for massive emergencies. If you are a low risk, healthy, uh, pregnant woman, there just isn't the need for you to have a 15 year experience OB deliver your vaginal and Medicaid birth. It just doesn't really line up and nor is that your best case scenario. I kind of forget the question. (laughs) what do we do in the stages of oh yeah okay so that was i went on a tangent there so we in pregnancy we are available by text and email and phone throughout their whole pregnancy uh we teach a prenatal class which is six hours and then we do a prenatal meeting um to kind of equip them for and answer any questions they have and if they feel like that's not enough or if uh, we don't feel like we know them well enough and we're going to be in their space for 24 hours of, um, for birth. We meet with them again. And then the next time we'd see them would probably be when they're in labor. We also do a super good job at Instagram. Mm. So we're finding that that helps with staying connected with our clients mm-hmm. because we are constantly showing our faces on there. So they do feel like they know what's going on in our lives. They're reaching out every once in a while and connecting with us without it having to be about their pregnancy all the time too, which I think is refreshing. Mm -hmm. Totally. You guys do a really good job on Instagram, I must say. Like actually, because I'm someone who hasn't had kids and something that's obviously my husband and I talk about, right? But it's like, you know, there's like fears as I'm sure all women have going into that stage of their life. And I like look at your Instagram and I'm like, okay, good to know, like noted. And also you just make it so approachable. Like I think so many things have been like hush hush for so long. And I mean, I've been fortunate. I have some like women in my family have been very open <laughs> about pregnancy <laughs> and giving birth to the point I'm like, probably shouldn't have told me that, but thank you. <laughs> like noted. But yeah, you guys do an amazing job. I think just we, we try to keep it relevant for everybody, even if you don't have kids. I mean, yesterday our story and our questions were about nipple hairs. Everybody has those, apparently. (laughs) (laughs) No, honestly, I think the one, I'm trying to think when it was, but one of you were talking about like poo or something like that. (laughs) Probably. Probably. (laughs) As someone who focused on digestive health, I was like, yes, I'm here for this. (laughs) Yeah. Poo is always a hot topic at the gym too. So it's always good to be in that environment. And when someone goes into the wheelchair bathroom, you know what's up. (laughs) Totally. Yeah. Bring your poop free. Yeah. Oh my gosh, love it. Now, as someone who has never had children, um, can you give me a little bit of a debrief and anyone listening, what to expect during pregnancy? Maybe some of the changes in your body, your emotions. I think I know some, but I also know there's probably a lot that I don't. Oh, wow. 
This is why you can't write a book about it because it's so all over the place. Like everything is normal. It is normal for you to have zero nausea or morning sickness. It's also normal to be sick the entire time. It's true. There, so I think 10% of women are not just nauseous for the first trimester. It's the entire thing. And it's not morning sickness. It's all day. All day. All day yeah. Just and nauseous. then like food aversions, mm-hmm. everything. Some people have food aversions to vegetables. Some people have food aversions to meat. Yeah. Coffee. Yeah. Smells make people mental. Yeah. All over the place. Um, emotions. I mean, progesterone and gesturin- estrogen are all over the place. Yeah. So, I mean, a couple of things physically, you're getting more, you're snoring because mm-hmm. your nose um, is more swollen. Um, yeah. Emotionally, <laughs> like, yeah, you can go, you're crying at commercials sometimes. Mm-hmm. Or sad songs, sad, sad songs. songs about babies, crying all the time. I was actually really emotionally chill during my pregnancy. My parents had just went through a divorce. They told me two weeks before I got pregnant that they were splitting up after my whole life. And I had this like weird air of Zen the mm-hmm. whole time. So I feel like my hormones during pregnancy protected me. Mm-hmm. But then there's many other people who deal with even pregnancy depression. Mm-hmm. Uh, human growth hormones high. So if you're someone who feels good and you're training and working out, you can get even stronger in pregnancy because you're stealing some of your baby's human growth hormone. <laughs> so like I tried to do pull-ups for as long as I could in pregnancy because I'm like, I'm going to get some gains. <laughs> I'm going to get ripped. Yeah. Oh, I know another one. Um, sex drive. So some people. Yeah, all over the place. Oh my goodness. Like with the twins, it was non-existent. Um, and with the next one, it was like, I'm going to wake you up in the middle of the night. <laughs> yes. Oh, you probably misses those days. I know, right? Throwback. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, so those hormones are all over the place, too. I mean, so it's totally a spectrum. Um, so I don't know. Is there any consistencies that we can say? Expect Consistently, this? your abdomen is going to grow. <laughs> It is probably going to grow, but I mean, depending on the size of your torso and where your organs are, also that can be oh, I know. so different. Yeah, you might be wide, you might be all out front, you might get Frodo feet, you might not. Yeah. I will say one of the biggest myths that I hear all the time, because I have a lot of little people in my family, like my mm. sister-in-laws are all five feet with like size five shoes, and specifically my sister-in-law who, happy birthday, Lily, it's her birthday today. She is a tiny human and had two beautiful vaginal births, uncomplicated. So if anybody is looking at their actual anatomy and size and assuming, oh, I'm really short and my husband's a big Dutch dude, I don't think I'm going to be able to have a vaginal birth. Like, that means nothing. Mm-hmm. You, you probably can. Mm-hmm. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah, like that whole idea of measuring the circumference of the pelvis is old old, old mm-hmm. research that needs to be tossed. Pretty much everything is old, old research. And yeah. with relaxing in your body, that's kind of opening. And then obviously you probably heard about babies getting like the football head. So their head cones intentionally so that it can navigate its way through the pelvis. But that's our kitchen table prenatal. Yeah. Conversation. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Now bring me to birth. How do you support women during the birthing process? So it usually starts with a lot of texting at the beginning. So when our clients are having little symptoms, diarrhea, nausea, their water breaks, um, mucus plug, bloody show. <laughs> Sorry, everybody listening to this, if this is TMI, but we, we want to hear from them. So it's never a phone call in the middle of the night 
when we haven't heard from them for two weeks being like, oh my gosh, come now. That never happens. Um, so we, yeah, we talk them through the early stuff, try to always make everybody go back to sleep. That's mm -hmm. usually the number one goal. Most women go into labor in the late evening, mm -hmm. early morning. So we're telling people to go back to sleep, ignore it for as long as you can. Rest is the most important thing in early labor. Yeah, like if you're having three, four contractions an hour, that's not a good time for us to come over. So yeah, we're definitely telling you in early labor to, if it's during the day, which it rarely is, to keep doing what you're doing. Uh, we've definitely had a client. Go to Home Depot. Depot. Yeah, she was. I've had dinner at Jack Astor's before with laboring clients and mm -hmm. walked around chapters. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so early labor, it's ignored as long as possible. You're not going to land with a baby in your hands without knowing it. <laughs> so that's kind of our, our early labor strategy get as much sleep as possible. We're also telling people in late pregnancy, try and get a nap every day. Because if you go into labor that night, you want to rely on that last bit of energy stores that you had from that nap. Yeah. And so then into active labor, um, active labor, you're kind of looking for a contraction every four minutes lasting a full minute, and then that going on for about an hour. So that's that acronym is 411. Sometimes that gets changed to 311 or 511, depending on, you know. First or second baby sometimes. Yeah. yeah. So in active labor, we usually are at the client's house before they would call their midwife, if they're a midwife client. And our goal is to try to keep hospital birth people at home for as long as we can safely, because you don't want to be getting to the hospital when you're only two centimeters. You're not in active labor at that point. Honestly, your contractions would probably stop if you walked into the hospital at two centimeters. So we're keeping people safe and secure and supported at home as long as we can. So that involves sometimes distraction with TV, um, helping them use tools like their own bath or shower. If they're having a home birth, we're helping the partner get the birth tub set up, helping the client decide when it's a good time to get in the birth tub and helping hospital clients decide when the right time to go to the hospital is. I find in the first half hour we get there, it's really a process of grounding them and bringing them back into their body, breathing with them, a lot of kind of hands-on physical support, normalizing where they're at, and just being with them in the moment to know like they know everything. Because they usually get there and their eyes are massive and they're like, this is it? Like, this is this is right, this is good, this is normal. And so normalizing everything, kind of assessing where they're at. And then some people from there um, really want that hands-on support for every contraction and um, other people don't. So yeah, it's kind of a bit different for each person, but um, yeah, from then on, we're, we're there the whole time. Um, if, we're want if they're a hospital person, we really want them to be in a solid pattern where getting to the hospital isn't gonna bounce them out because there's a lot of things at the hospital um the noises the sounds the lights that when you think of yourself as a, a primal being they're just not really the normal dark corner cave that you would want to labor in and give birth in and so sometimes when you get there too early your body's like nope i don't want to do this it's like being a lion in labor and then all of a sudden a hyena comes up into your space they're equipped to stop their labor mm -hmm. and get up and run away from the hyena. Mm -hmm. So we're the same way. So if you're walking into the hospital and you're not in a really, really good pattern, mm -hmm. you can get scared out of it. 
And we talk about that a lot in the prenatal class, like your parasympathetic nervous system, rest and digest is where you want to be in labor with a lot of oxytocin, the love hormone flowing. So that's the best way for your body to create and make its own endorphins, your body's natural painkiller. Whereas if you're in fight or flight and adrenaline, that's holding your labor up. Wow, I had no idea that that was something that would happen if oh, if you went to the hospital too early. Okay, yeah, I'm like yeah. learning a lot, just like for myself, I'm like writing notes. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> now you mentioned you know having the person's partner there and how you help with like the emotional support and things like that how do you work in tangent with the person's significant other through the process because like I'm sure some probably come in thinking they're going to be cool calm and collective and they're maybe like whoa I don't know what's happening here yeah, yeah. it's never our goal to get between the couple we always want to you know, circle around them. And like we said earlier, like they know you and we know birth. So, I mean, Laura always says this at every client meeting, like our goal is to make him, him or her look yeah. like a rock star. So giving them ideas, subbing in with them, um, especially in a longer labor, getting them um, to Rest. sleep. Because after we leave, we usually leave two hours after the baby's born. Um, like he's on, right? Like he's got to take the baby so that you can get some rest. Mm -hmm. So, um, and then the other part is, you know, if we've tried something a few times and it's working, we'll sub him in. So if it's like a really nice kind of swaying dance mm -hmm. position, we're like, Hey, you do this yeah. and I'll do the, the less intimate thing, you know, like I'll do the hip squeeze. Yeah. Um, so that he's always, he just looks great. Cause he's like, look at all these great things I'm trying and we're just feeding him like line <laughs> we're like a wing woman oh yeah for birth oh my gosh I love that <laughs> so good now one thing um I've been curious about is how your roles have changed during COVID um I know because I've had a friend who had a baby right at the beginning of everything and was lucky that her partner was able to go in but they had to, like pack like literally a cooler of like sandwiches and stuff to mm -hmm. get through so I'm wondering what that's been like for you guys and like being able to support people. So right now with most midwifery clinics, we are allowed at home births still. Um, there are some that don't even want doulas at home births. So that's tough. Um, and then hospital births, you are allowed one support person. So we had a choice single mom have a baby a couple weeks ago and I was allowed to go into the hospital as her partner. Um, but any birthing person would have to choose their support person. We have clients who are expecting seconds who are considering having us instead of partners <laughs> because <laughs> they know how good we are. <laughs> hey, no judgment on that third part. Yeah. Um, they're a little bit less strict with the food thing because obviously they can't keep you in a room for 24 hours and be like, sorry, partner you can't eat because that's not beneficial for anybody. So they will, they will let partners go to the cafeteria. They just want you to be using your common sense and not like driving across the road to go to Staples. Mm -hmm. Like please stay in the hospital. No, not too much in and out and just one support person. And the triage thing just changed too. So they weren't letting partners up into triage. So when you are having a hospital birth with an OB, you need to be assessed 
before they put you into a birthing suite. So they were not letting your partner in for that part, which was traumatic and awful. Um, but they did just change it two weeks ago. So your partner can now come in with you the whole time, which is very nice. For us, for clients who still want to hire us, but still want to have a hospital birth and want to have their partner be their primary support person, what we've been doing is kind of a mesh of a virtual support and an in-person support. Um, each person's different. We build their package accordingly. But what that looks like is they still get all the, the pregnancy tech support. They do the prenatal class. And then if they want, we can either support them over the phone or FaceTime or texting in early active labor, or we can even go to their house and get them through that early part and help them assess when they want to go in. And then when they go in, we're just like, okay, bye. I'm here. I have my phone, you know, let me know. And then 24 hours later, when they come home from the hospital, we can do their postpartum um, visits. So that's kind of how we've been working with covid and we just kind of, and the problem is, or the hard part now is that when people are hiring us now and they're yeah. having a baby nine months from now, we don't know, building their package to reflect what it looks like. So we usually just build it and say, you can always add on, you can always upgrade because we don't know what COVID is going to look like. I mean, I'm hoping we get to a point soon where you can just provide a negative test and then you can be let in right? Um, or however that's going to change. And then we can be supporting again. Wow. Yeah, no, that's really intense. And like, cause I just, I know my one friend, it was because it was like so new and no one really knew it was happening. Like they weren't even sure if like she was able to have a partner, like her partner. Yeah. Like, so they were like actually trying to like rush her and to get in so that she could oh, like wow. the baby so that like before any rules change. And I'm like, what did it like, what is scary? It was our first child. And like mm -hmm. you're being told that like you need to rush and have this birth. Like you're literally getting rushed. Yeah. Just you had a client whose partner sat in the parking lot for six hours yeah. waiting and his so his wife was in triage by herself. And so that's and we had a we had a, a client who unfortunately had a loss of mm -hmm. twins and had to go in for a surgery and her partner was not allowed in the whole time. And that's not okay. Mm -hmm. So things definitely do need to change. Um Victoria Hospital was never not letting partners into births, but I think at the beginning they just were unsure mm -hmm. as to how things were going to trickle out because New York City was not a let, they were not letting partners in. So I think that scared everybody, but then that only lasted maybe a month max, and then they realized we can't not let partners in. This is tragic. One of the things that stuck is um, nitrous oxide. You mm -hmm. still can't use that because of droplets. Um, and then I think one of the stories early on that was freaking people out was that women would have to labor with their mask on. And that's, that's not, not the case. Not the Unless case. you were COVID positive. Yeah. So yeah. once you're in your room, you can take it off. And the partner doesn't have to wear their mask either. Okay. Yeah. Which is nice for them to be able to see their facial yeah. expressions. Yeah. I feel like that would be traumatic if like you were looking at your partner wearing a mask. Like, I don't know, like yeah. I'm just assuming that that would be pretty traumatic. Yeah, psychologically, it just doesn't work as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And so you guys obviously have some pretty intense situations and probably, like you are saying, like, you know, there's some losses that you have to experience, I'm assuming, alongside with your clients. Um, so how do you take care of yourselves during, like, oh, the man. process? Because, <laughs> yeah, like, even just, like, if it's not, if it was, like, a successful birth, 
but like that's still a lot of like energy like physically emotionally mentally so how do you like do it so that's been one of the most helpful things about having a partnership for sure is when we were doing it alone it wasn't it wasn't official that i needed to talk to sarah immediately after i had a birth but now we're texting throughout every birth and keeping each other updated supporting each other doulaing each other as we doula our clients so if anything sticky comes up we're always like right there for each other um and then yeah taking care of ourselves i feel like we've gotten really good at tracking our cycles mm -hmm. which has been huge so like today it's day one of my period and sarah is ovulating so she's talking a lot <laughs> and i'm sitting here drinking my venti coffee having cramps <laughs> Um, and that is self-care <laughs> for me that one of the biggest parts was not taking on and owning the outcomes as being my fault so because I teach the prenatal class I was becoming so so invested in when a client would choose anything other than what I would choose and so I think working with Laura it's kind of shown me that like they have autonomy to choose whatever they want and they also come to us with a full lifetime of epigenetic history families of origin ideas and beliefs about their bodies about about food about exercise about labor and delivery mm -hmm. so you know there's a point where they're open and they can hear uh, new information and be educated and you know we can work on beliefs and I want to get even more into um, more like birth meditation stuff. But um, I think for me, that was a really big piece of self-care, you know, energy stuff for me was to put a bit of a, a space between, you know, I can empathetically be there and I'm, I'm totally invested and on board with you while you're laboring and birthing. But at the end of the birth, however it went is not, you know, hundred percent dependent on what I did. Um, so that was, that's a big piece for me and being able to walk away feeling like I did the best I could. I showed up and gave my hundred percent. And also now I can, you know, ground myself again. I do think we try and do a good job of being um, conscious of where each other is at mm -hmm. in terms of not trying to load the other person with, okay, now we need to do this, 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 and allowing each other to take the time and space that we need after a birth. Um, we both kind of have our routines of like, Lara gets a burger, um, <laughs> I usually get a breakfast sandwich, and then, you know, have a bath, have a sleep, um, sometimes have a cry, sometimes you write more than yeah, I do, yeah. um, I usually call Lara and talk her ear off, yeah. so <laughs> it's just kind of, yeah, our process just kind of keeps honing in um, the more, more births we do. We'll call each other on it too. Like if, mm. if either of us can tell that the other one is like squirreling out of control and not doing well, like we will be like, you probably need to go for a walk today mm. and listen to a podcast and forget about some stuff. Yeah. I've definitely like left the middle of a CrossFit workout and gone to the bathroom and cried. Um, when I've re recognized that like, oh, that really harsh, intense activity was not what I needed right then. I needed something more like, going to a yoga class and not doing one position and just laying on the mat in the heat. Um, also so, realizing that your partner, if you're married as a doula, your partner doesn't know anything about birth. So Sarah is essentially my work wife. She is the only one that I really can decompress to because mm -hmm. she's the only one who understands it. Right. Mm -hmm. 
No, that's fair. I don't think you give Ryan enough credit. <laughs> <laughs> but he's not going to say what I need. Like, he's going to listen. <laughs> but, like, when I'm explaining an episiotomy, yeah. he's like, sorry, what's that yeah. again? Yeah. And he doesn't understand, like, the level of trauma that can be involved in that. Yeah. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit too about trauma throughout, I'm assuming not just like the birthing experience, probably even during pregnancy, postpartum and how that can impact women? For sure. I think the most important thing that I learned, I think as baby doulas, we thought eight years ago that if you didn't have an unmedicated vaginal birth, you were having a traumatic birth. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It was very black and white when we were trained. Um, And getting way more experience. And as time goes on, we've easily realized that what makes your birth not traumatic is having control over your choices and being empowered and informed. So you know what's going on the entire time Mm -hmm. through your pregnancy, through your birth and through your postpartum. It really comes down to consent. So if you understand what needs to happen and you have time to assimilate it and you give consent for it, um, it, you can never project onto someone else that their birth was or was not traumatic. Mm-hmm. Gabor Mate, um, he's a, a speaker and author. He says that trauma, the definition of trauma for him is when you leave your body. So when the experience you're in is too much for you to handle and you freeze or you peace out, and then afterwards you need to reconcile your brain with the physical thing that happened, and that lapse and gap in time is the traumatic experience. So as much as I had my twins um, unmedicated and vaginally, there was a portion in time where I had said, where my first heart rate dropped and I just said, I just need to stand and squat and I can get him out. And they, the OB was like, no, I need you on the table. And he took the table away so that I had nothing under my legs. And he pushed my cervix over the baby's head. And then when the baby came out, um, at first, he wasn't, um, he was breathing, but he'd had a bit of meconium, so he was taken. Um, and so for me, the trauma was when I had to still, I still had a job to do to deliver the second baby. And in needing to focus my thought and intention and body on that job, I, I cut him out of my head to think like, I can't think about him right now. And that lapse in time is the trauma for me. And that was what I, I needed to work on after was, um, you know, working with him, holding him on my chest and saying to him, it didn't go how we wanted it to, but you know, like, I'm going to love you. And like all the things you do that help repair and, and heal your trauma. Some people use the term a healing second birth. Mm-hmm. And for some people that's really healing for them personally. Um, for me, I did end up having, um, you know, a home water birth with the third, well, he's my third boy, but my second birth to me, they're two very separate experiences. One didn't heal the other in a way. I feel like it's like saying, you know, healing sex after rape. They're both two very independent experiences. I don't think one heals the other. I do think you need to do a lot of work, a lot of work in therapy and things to um, deal with the, the trauma. And I don't know necessarily that, because when people say that, oh, you had your healing birth. Okay. I don't know that I'm a, a super buy into that. Anyway. Okay. Interesting. No, thank you for sharing that as well. Um, in terms of postpartum, how do you support women? Because I'm assuming if they did have experience some sort of trauma during delivery that that kind of 
goes into postpartum and also all the changes for your body, trying to breastfeed, mm-hmm. whatever. I'm sure there's so many things that I don't yeah. know. Yeah. The second someone feels fully seen, fully heard and fully met, that's the moment that their trauma can start to heal. At a postpartum visit, we are usually going over their birth and hearing how it was for them Mm -hmm. and then doing infant feeding. So majority of our clients uh, choose to breastfeed. And so it's helping them with that. Breastfeeding is, you know, normal and natural and so incredibly frustrating. (laughs) Yeah. Because (laughs) it's a new skill for you. It's a new skill for your baby. They are learning how to combine suckling, which is, you know, breathing and eating at the same time when in the womb, they were doing neither. So it's a brand new skill set for them too. And they can hardly hold their head up and they're frantically trying to get latched onto the nipple and you know, your nipples getting sore. And so there's a lot of things that a lot of tips and tricks we have to try and help baby latch. And sometimes if it's been a hospital birth and worse, we're coming to their house now, 24 hours later, there's been maybe some bad latches in the mm. hospital. There's been some bad sitting positioning. There's been a lot of anxiety, a lot of frustration. And a lot of times when they get conflicting home, advice, yeah, they can really relax and um, settle their shoulders down yeah. and then we can have a better kind of start, but then they're already a little sore. So yeah, kind of working through some of that stuff at a postpartum visit. Yeah. We also work a lot with self-care mm-hmm. and if people have a partner helping them use their partner, a lot of women come out of birth and think that they are automatically the expert on their baby, which they are, but unless they're giving their partners the chance to also build confidence and learn their baby, then they won't feel confident being left. And moms need to be able to leave the house confidently. So we work with our clients through all of that stuff as well, making sure they're not getting burnt out, making sure their needs are being met still. Mm. I give them a postpartum sits bath in the prenatal class. And so sometimes a postpartum visit, I'll just make that up for them. Mm-hmm. Talk to them about um, crotchicles, padsicles, so yep. like frozen things they can put in their underwear that feel amazing. Sometimes Sarah makes soup and sourdough. <laughs> Most of the time I take it all though. <laughs> Most of the time I just eat it myself. It's yeah. <laughs> I had one client the other day. I was the the husband and he's like, I don't even like stew. But he's like, I was considering having another baby to have that stew and sourdough again. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) It's the biggest compliment I've ever received. No. Yeah. I didn't even know that. If I could only have one meal again, that would be it. On like a desert island, if it was just your soup and sourdough, I would be thrilled. Okay, I'm like also writing this down. Take it. <laughs> I would like the package that includes that. Yeah, for, for her birthday this year, I gave her uh, like four containers of soup and sourdough to put in her freezer so she could save them for all her, for her birth. And I did that. I did that a week and a half ago after that last birth. I had my soup hey. and my sourdough. It was perfect. I think this could be another business opportunity. <laughs> Saying. We're too busy for Sarah to make soup and sourdough anymore. <laughs> That's true. That's a whole other thing. Mom yeah. guilt. Let's not get into that. I'll step in and I will make the soup and sourdough if you're willing. Yes. That'll be my full-time gig. Amazing. But when it's your baby someday, she will do it. Yeah. Perfect. <laughs> now, for me, like, again, as someone who doesn't have children, I mean, I know some, again, 
more than I probably wanted to through family members giving me the nitty gritty. But, you know, there's definitely like fear around like, am I going to know what to do when I get home from the hospital? And of course, I'm assuming that's a lot of like where your support comes in. But is there like just some natural instinct, I'm assuming that just like takes over when a mom gets home? Or what does that look like? For some people, I feel like there is. I feel like Untamed is such a good read for this too, because there's so many women who just are not tapped into their gut Mm -hmm. and they're not confidently making decisions leading up. So then to think that you're magically going to come out and be confident in taking care of a baby, it doesn't always happen. And the other thing is, I don't think we're growing up, you know, the civilization we're in means we're all alone in our bougie little houses we're not living in community anymore. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you've never witnessed another mother come home and have, I remember my sister-in-law saying, oh, you look like you could have another baby. (laughs) And I'm like, yeah, because that's what a postpartum belly looks like. It's still swollen. You come home looking still like you're at least six months pregnant and that's normal. Um, But, you know, she hasn't lived around someone, um, you know, hour to hour to know what that looks like. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now you kind of touched on the community piece. That was one of the things I wanted to ask you about. Like how important is community in the space, whether it's like prenatal, postpartum, like any stage really in life? Cause I think as women, like it's so hard. I think nowadays you kind of mentioned it, like just kind of stay in your own silos and like the day-to-day grind and not wanting to ask for help. But I feel like community is like so important and something that we kind of forget about. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Even myself, when I had my own babies, the bond that I have with the women who I was the closest to when we all had our babies together, and Sarah was one of them, like our firsts are within a month of each other. Um, It's just a different bond when you have people in your life whose kids are the same age, um, and sometimes even the same gender, you find a different community. yeah. Before COVID, we did a mom and baby mm. group. And uh, so we did eight weeks and each week I'd have a, a topic and I run it here right in my living room. So and they're all still friends. They're all still friends. They all continued the group after they met at a brewery. Yeah. Because there's, I think there's a brewery that has, what do they call it? Like mom and. They have like brews and babies or yes, something like that. Yes, that's it. Yeah. yeah. Which is so great because beer is great for breastfeeding. Mm-hmm. So um yeah like that community is really important but I think also I mean those are it's amazing to be able to have a group that you can text every day who never gets tired of hearing that you had a crappy night Mm -hmm. because your people who are not in it don't get it they're like oh there's Sarah again telling me how crappy your night is whereas when you're in it and you have two three other friends who you can say how was your night and they'll be like, absolute garbage. And they're like, how was your night? And you're like, same girl, I was up four <laughs> times. You feel so like seen and heard. It doesn't yeah. get you more sleep, but it means that you can carry on because you feel like you've been you're seen less and heard. alone. Yeah. yeah. And then in terms of community and help, like, I mean, especially with, you know, everyone's working now. And so we do find with a lot of clients, they'll say, Oh, my mother-in-law and my mother are both working or not retired. So they can't really help me out. So I do think, unfortunately, after the two week mark and their partner goes back to work and they're alone in the house for the first time for that first nine hours for five days that week, Mm -hmm. like that's a really scary thing. Um, 
And that's where I feel like anytime we've done trips to poor countries where there's, you know, no windows, if a mom was with her baby in her house and the baby was crying for four hours, the neighbors would hear and would come over and they'd be like, what's going on? Like, can I take your baby? You can go have a nap or I can help you out or give you some, you know, well, some rice, some, rice, some good advice. <laughs> sure. Oh man. And whereas here, like we're in our home, like we no just expect, hear us. We expect someone might reach out, but how can they possibly know that you're at home, you know, laying on the bathroom floor crying and your baby's crying and you're not doing well because the only picture you put up on Instagram is this picture of your baby in their beautiful little outfit. Mm -hmm. um, like it's just a, a thing where, yeah, I, I don't know. Community don't know. is not working. Yeah. Is, yeah. Postpartum for sure. And I think when you're in that postpartum time, it's so heavy that you don't even know what you need mm -hmm. at that point. So we like to work with people in the prenatal to think of lists of how people can help. So that looks different for everybody. For people who are OCD about cleaning their own house, they probably would want a friend to come over and hold their baby so they can clean their house the way that they need to for them to be able to relax. But then there's other people who will be super mama bear about, I don't want anybody else holding my baby, but for sure you can come over and clean my house. So really going through that stuff leading up and before you're in the heavy of it and knowing how people can help. And then when that baby's born, people do, they say, everyone says, let me know if there's anything mm -hmm. I can do to help. Those people don't know what to do either. Mm -hmm. But if you text them and you say, you know what, Wednesday, my husband's got a meeting. It would be great if you could bring over Subway. Here's mm -hmm. our orders. Is that good for you? Mm -hmm. People are thrilled. Totally. They want to help. They just need to know exactly what they can do to help. Mm -hmm. And they will do it or they'll say no. Mm -hmm. But is there another night that mm -hmm. I could do that? Wednesday doesn't work for me. Communication. Mm -hmm. It's hard to ask, but I mean, yeah, we definitely go over that a lot. We want to build a course around that around building your your um more thriving um postpartum I had a friend uh exactly like that not into babies at all but was like what could I do and she was my um go get stuff person mm -hmm. like I sent her to Toys R Us to pick up baby wipe warmers I sent her to shoppers to get um nipple shields or nipple oh, cream man. yeah and like that's the stuff that if I had to get dressed, put a bra on, like that's not happening in the first month and go get that stuff myself. Or even like if my husband was going to leave the house, I was like, no, thank you. Like I need you to stay here and hold a baby. Like, so, I mean, there's definitely always people can help and you, you can't expect that they'll know. No, they don't know. Nobody's what a mind reader. Mean? Nobody. And also it's so easy, especially if you live in the city to just DoorDash stuff mm. because even Farats delivers at 11 p.m. to Sarah's house. <laughs> Can we take a sidebar and share that story? <laughs> so Sarah put up a lovely post about me and had everybody send me Starbucks gift cards, which was amazing, and paid for my coffee today and many other coffees. So I had to thank her in some way, and she refused to let me put up a post about her. So I was like, okay, well, I'll surprise her and I'll send some fondue to their house for tomorrow at 5 p.m. when she gets home. And I, I thought that I changed it, but technology did not go well for me that night. So I'm laying on the couch watching TV and I get a text message that says, your delivery will be done at 11.05. And I was like, p.m. PM. What? why? Why will it be done then? So I text Sarah, are you awake? Are you awake? She doesn't answer. So 
thank goodness I have Brandon's cell phone number. So I text Brandon, I'm like, are you awake? He's like, yes, what's wrong? You're like, I need your help. I need your help. Like he was probably super scared. (laughs) I'm like, you're getting a delivery of fondue at 11.05. So you're going to need to stay awake to receive that order. (laughs) He was like, you are ridiculous. (laughs) I love that. That's like some late night fondue, you know? Yeah. (laughs) It paid off though, because then she brought it to my house the next day and I got to eat some of it. Like. Really, I just ordered this for myself in the end. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. So yeah, if you have people who you want to help who live in a city where there's Uber Eats and DoorDash, like send them a coffee and a donut. Yeah. It will mean the world. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I think it's hard to like ask for help. Like you just like in life in general. I don't know if it's just like females, but like I find myself personally always like, oh, I don't want to like inconvenience that person or I don't want to, you know, they're probably busy, but like really. I also think too, like, oh, like if that person just asked me for help, I'd give them help. Like we're just not. If you you reframe it and think about how good it feels to be asked specifically for help and told what to do, you feel incredible. Mm -hmm. So if you remember that feeling, then when you ask for help, it feels a little bit better. Yeah. I love that. Uh, One final question for you guys. So for people who are maybe very like new into this space, whether they're thinking about having children, pregnant, or even have had children and want to have more, where are some like good places to start in terms of maybe like resources, like reading, that kind of thing? Well, shameless self-promotion, follow our Instagram at dynamicrulesofblended. (laughs) After that, I would read our blogs. We cover Mm -hmm. a lot of the questions you might have. After that, I would read Ina Mae Gaskin's Guide to Childbirth. Mm -hmm. If you are trying to get pregnant, you can take our pregnancy prep class. If you are pregnant, you can take our kitchen table prenatal class. Mm -hmm. If you are really close to like, if you are three days pregnant or at early pregnancy, doing the research about the difference between an OB and a midwife is huge because Mm -hmm. if you want a midwife, you do have to apply early Mm -hmm. and that is greatly going to affect how your birth is going to look and feel. Mm-hmm. So that's not something that you want to figure out at 30 weeks that, oh, I would appreciate that level of care post-birth. Now it's not an option. So I do think that research early is important and most people don't think about it. It's true. Um, we've been all over the place with people who hire us. Some people hire us later in the game, but the uh, longer we're in business and the busier we get, the more important it is to book us early too. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, and the more beneficial we are. Totally. That's fair. But I mean, at this point, I mean, we're so solid booked in the middle of next year. It's crazy. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. Now what is your handle and your website for people who want to find you? So it's at dynamic doulas of London on Instagram. And our website is dynamic of amazing well thank you both for joining me today and sharing all your wisdom and also you guys are just so funny like I honestly enjoy following you guys like that whole fondue thing like (laughs) I was dying at home like I was laughing so hard by myself I got to the gym the next day like we we went to your house yeah we just ate it we totally didn't Instagram anything (laughs) I get to the gym that night and this girl's like what happened with the fondue? I was checking your page all day long. I wanted to know what happened. I'm like, oh shoot, sorry. <laughs> we just hoovered it. We just ate it and forgot. Oh man, so, so I had to go to sleep that night. 
thank you for also just like giving me a smile. I know a lot of other people just like with your fun like humor and whether it is related to you know pregnancy and birth or about fondue. I <laughs> <laughs> so thank you. Thank you for joining. Thanks today. for having thank us. This, yeah. so this was fun. Thank you so much for tuning into today's episode and don't forget to join the conversation over on socials at Simply Nick Nutrition and online at simplynicknutrition.com.